This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back to the Now News Panel on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Mice, joined by Michelle McQuig and Joita Gupta. A new poll suggests that a majority of Canadians support pauses on carbon tax pricing for home energy. Sarah Ritchie has the numbers. The Liberals announced in October that they're pausing the carbon price on home heating oil for three years to give people time to switch over to electric heat pumps. Polling firm Leger surveyed more than 1,500 Canadians online asking a range of questions about the carbon price and the pause. 63% of respondents say they support the move and it's most popular in Atlantic Canada where the policy will have the biggest impact. About a third of homes in the region use heating oil. 70% of the people surveyed say they would support the government expanding the exemption to include all other forms of home heating fuel. Sarah Ritchie, The Canadian Press, Ottawa. So I found these numbers quite quite surprising and I wanted to bring it to the news panel and, and, and get everyone's thoughts on this topic. So Michelle, we'll start with you on this one. Does it surprise you that a majority of Canadians want wider exemptions when it comes to carbon tax exemptions? Honestly, no, it didn't really surprise me that much just because there seems to be, and I'm pretty sure I've sounded off on this before, there seems to be just such a deep-seated aversion in Canada to paying taxes of any kind. Mm -hmm. Even when people recognize that these taxes would go in support of things that they want, like municipal services or healthcare or the environment in this case, um, that does seem to be just a knee-jerk response of, no, I, I I don't like taxes, regardless of any kind of arguments to support why that taxation system was brought into place. In this particular case, the carbon pricing plan is one that has been poorly understood from the get-go. It, it, is, it is relatively complicated. It varies by jurisdiction. It's not an easy matter to boil down for people. Uh, so no, I'm not especially surprised by the fact that a lot of people are pushing back on this, even if it does seem to be at odds with uh, other national polls that suggest that there's broader interest in, in tackling climate change. For me, I... These sorts of numbers that you brought here, Alex, kind of support the sense that people don't necessarily understand the connection between Mm. the carbon pricing plan and what that could do for fighting climate change. And people have just reconciled this by saying, no, I don't really want to deal with additional personal expenses. Hey, Angelita, what about you? uh, Are you thinking along the same lines as Michelle, where this is just more, it's the idea of having a tax in general, or is there something else at play here that a majority of Canadians just don't support carbon taxes or want to see wider exemptions made available? Well, I I think um, Michelle hit the nail on the head. It's not really all that surprising. There is something of an antipathy in Canada towards taxation, and everybody likes taxes so long as they don't have to pay it. So if other people are paying yeah, higher taxes, exactly. great. You know, as long as I'm not off the hook, everybody likes to have an exemption of some kind. But I think Michelle also made a really interesting point about how poorly understood the carbon tax structure in Canada is. It is tremendously opaque exceedingly complicated and has been the subject of a great deal of horse trading back and forth, arguing, squabbling, quibbling, you name it. And I think because of all the bad press, people have really backed off from the carbon tax as a potential solution to climate change. 
Uh, yeah. And maybe there was more positive information or just information in general to try and explain what it was and how it worked and how it might actually impact the climate in a positive way. That might resonate with people because you would be hard pressed to find people, um, at least in the mainstream, arguing against climate change and its detrimental impact. So it's not that people don't want to do things for the climate, but I think this has just become so complicated and gotten so much bad press and so much negativity mm -hmm. that people have backed off completely from the carbon tax. And so it, this is kind of what I, I kind of first struggle with, because as you both mentioned, there's a popularity and a majority of Canadians support environmental policies to, to help combat climate change. They just, it seems like they just don't want to pay for it, at least in the form of a tax. So what would uh, you like to see done to kind of address this kind of issue of uh, balancing climate change with, you know, financial impacts on on people. Uh, Michelle, where would you like to, what would you like to see done? Uh, there's a reason Dave Brown Consulting will never hire me because I, I, I'm <laughs> terrible at this sort of thing. Um, I, I will say, like, I, I really do feel that this is a situation that needs to be better understood, mm. but I think a huge part of the problem as to why it's some of the, the, the federal government messaging or the pro-environment messaging on this might be lost is because this has become a real political hot potato. And Joita talked about all the, the wrangling and horse trading, and it even got more than that when there were active court battles fought. Various mm -hmm. provinces took the government to court to try and challenge this. There are premiers who have sometimes even gotten elected on, on promises to challenge the carbon pricing plan from the federal government. Opposition forces have the narrative control here. And that has all the discourse on this has become deeply polarized, highly politicized. It's difficult to find any kind of space to to have conversations about why this works, how this can work. There is evidence and a fair bit of it to support carbon pricing plans as as environment uh, saving tools, environment helping tools, mm -hmm. um, even as potential economic drivers for governments. But I don't think that is is well understood, and I don't know if it ever really can be in the current climate, to be honest. And Joita, what about you? Like. Uh... What would you like to see done around, you know, trying to generate more more financial support for uh, for uh, environmental policies like this? Well, look, Alex, let's let's be fair to people. The last few years have been very tough for people economically. We know that the cost of everything across the board has gone up. And I think a little bit of this disinterest uh, or a, a call for wider exemptions is tied to people's economic realities. Let's just put that mm -hmm. on the table. Yeah, but I also yeah. think in addition to that, um, it's worth noting that at least for, because we've talked about this a few weeks ago, I think, in the context of the Atlantic provinces, uh, this is meant to be a three-year exemption uh, to allow people to switch from um, inefficient sources of heat uh, mm -hmm. to electric gas pumps, which are more environmentally friendly. And so if the pause allows people an opportunity to switch from one form of heating to another, bearing in mind that home heating is essential, such as groceries and gas, uh, you know, then it makes sense. It's a bit like a transition period for people. So what would I like to see? I would actually like to see more of the carrot and less of the stick. And by that, I mean, I would actually like us to think more about expanding incentive programs and subsidies to allow people, especially those who are low-income Canadians, to make that switch away from um from gas and 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 oil and other sort of 
you know, and other inefficient sources of home heating or other sources of heat that are uh, bad for the environment and bad for the climate uh, towards cleaner sources of energy. But you're not going to be able to do that unless you heavily incentivize that in some way. So I think if you're going to expand, um, if you're going to expand this exemption to include all sources of heat or other sources of heat, it it could be a good thing for the federal federal liberals and that it might actually, um, you know, alleviate some of the affordability crunches that can the, the affordability crunch that Canadians are dealing with right now. But at the same time, you've really got to incentivize for people to be able to make those switches. Because right now with the carbon tax, what you're doing is you're giving an opportunity to wealthy Canadians to say, okay, you know what, I'm going to take that one-time cost, I'm going to make the switch and I don't have to pay the tax anymore. But what happens to low-income Canadians? Low-income Canadians just don't have that kind of disposable income to make mm. the switch. And so without assistance or without incentives or without subsidies of some kind to help offset some of the costs of, of making the switch, they'll just continue to pay the carbon tax. And that's a way to penalize low-income Canadian families. So we have to really think through the economic realities of the situation and use this exemption, bearing in mind that it would be an exemption for a fixed amount of time, let's say three years, to really incentivize the other side of the equation, which is make the switch, go with clean energy sources. Yeah, and I, I agree with you, Juwita, and I, I was thinking along the same lines. I would also even take it even a step uh, further, and you look at the renewable energies and, and options that are available for Canadians, and you think even just in, in Ontario, we're all based in Ontario, if, if you decide to make a switch to solar and, and, and have renewable electricity, things like that, the, the system is, is so convoluted that you have to basically sell back any of the energy you created back to the system and then they, they provide it to you. So it's this weird like kind of rebate program, whereas other countries, you're, you're allowed to use that energy and then take from the supply or, or sell back any excess that you don't need or if you need a bit more during those other uh, kind of like the darker months like winter, you can you can tap into that network. I think even like streamlining that process really provide, as you say, that carrot to people that if you really want to be environmentally conscious, you don't have to deal with all these weird regulations or, or convoluted rules about how to really use renewable energy. You can use it for your home and feel like it's a lot more of a streamlined process. But mm -hmm. uh, before we, we stop this uh, conversation, I, I'm curious, do you, because there's over the last few weeks, there's been a number of really stark warnings around, you know, global warming, climate change, and the impacts that, that we're getting to these stark uh, numbers and, and reports that are coming out. Michelle, do you think Canadians have, and, and people more broadly, have started to tune out these reports about global warming and the impact of climate change? Yeah, that's such a great question. And I, I, I'm afraid that, I'm afraid of the answer, to be honest with you. Uh, it's hard to say for sure, but my, my suspicion is yes. We've been hearing these kinds of warnings ramp up. We've all kind of acknowledged over the course of our comments on this topic that it is now entirely mainstream to acknowledge that we are in a climate crisis. That understanding seems to have permeated most political discourse. Uh, some of the partisan rhetoric has seeped out of that specific argument anyway, that, the, that there is a problem that needs to be addressed. There are tons of different tools of thought as to how to go about doing that, of course. But I do think that as it's gotten normalized in some senses, people have started to tune it out. Now, on the flip side, though, are the more tangible reminders that we talked about over the summer that I think can kind of recapture people's attention, although in some cases it's too late. Those tangible reminders are things that we've, that we've all faced, like 
days when the air quality is compromised because a forest fire is way, way far away from where people are or f active flooding, severe weather events more generally. Um, these sorts of things, I think, recapture people's attention, but in the worst possible way. And I do fear that with those more abstract reminders that people aren't necessarily paying as much attention. Yeah, and Joita, what about you? Do you, do you feel that uh, people have, for the most part have started to tune out these these warnings or or kind of reports that are highlighting the real impact that climate change is going to have and already having? No, I don't think people have exactly tuned it out. I think people understand that climate change has deeply devastating and detrimental consequences for their lives. But with that said, um, no one's exactly rushing to change their home heating systems to do anything about the climate, right? Mm. Uh, or no one's really folding themselves into a pretzel following recycling programs to the letter. And I think it leads to something a little more complex than simply people tuning it out. I, I'm sure there is an element of fatigue and maybe even cynicism and helplessness in face of the crisis. I'm sure all of that is there too. But if you want to say solution focused here, then I think the real problem, at least in the context of our conversation, has to do with the fact that government programs are too convoluted and complex. And so when people do try to make changes in their lives, uh, they find it increasingly difficult to do so. Uh, this this home heating example is actually a good one. Another one would be, you know, if you, let's say, wanted to switch from a traditional vehicle to owning an electric car, well, good luck mm, to you because they're yeah. ruinously expensive and, and the infrastructure mm -hmm. to, to charge your car is just not there. It's, you know, not, it's there. not as yeah. present as it should be. So that's another really good way in which the government is putting obstacles in the way of people who want to change their behavior. So as, as we turn our minds to, you know, thinking through what can be done here or, you know, whether people are tuning it out. I'm not sure people are tuning out the messaging around climate change, but they are tuning out their government and, and realizing that the government is just not falling in step and doing this in an effective or efficient way. They're tuning out our decision makers, and that's the problem. And I, I again, I, I sort of belabored the point about incentives and, and rebates and things, but I do think that's going to become very important if we want people to get on side with this. In fact, you know, I, the, I, with the caveat, this is not my beat. I'm not even sure if there's legislation across Canada that is uh, that requires new homes to be built that to be energy efficient. And if either of you knows the answer to that, please enlighten me. But as far as I could tell, based on my cursory research, there really isn't there aren't really standards across Canada that require new builds to be energy efficient either. So that's just you know one step the government could take uh, to ensure that we're, they're meeting promises around the climate. Now again, if you know if I've misread something or misunderstood feel free to correct me but i really couldn't find anything on the internet so well and i i know we, we had a conversation uh dave and arno uh, kopecki had a conversation earlier this week around building codes and how environmental uh practices and and more uh, more green home construction is really kind of the way of the future so this is kind of building off of uh, previous conversations we have currently i i believe you are correct Juita, that there isn't a uh, uh, nationwide uh, rules or regulations around new constructions and the the standard of environmental um, kind of um, I guess processing and, and energy that is required. But uh, there are organizations and the task force uh, that Arno uh, profiled is looking to change that. But we will leave this conversation for now because we have one more topic after the break and it all involves the media coverage surrounding the vehicle explosion at the Rainbow Bridge this week. Michelle and Joita will share their opinions on the political commentary 
that accompanied this coverage. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.